What's going on, guys? Back at you with another episode of Quarantine Football. Like always, I'm your co-host, Ryan, with you guys today. Always happy to be here. Always happy to talk to all of our listeners out there. And I uh, got both of my co-hosts on the episode today. You know, very rare occasion, but now with uh, college, you know, uh, coming to a slow uh, halt and, uh, you know, our semester's not being uh, up for another uh, two weeks. You know, always we're going to be able to have both me, Nate, and Dorian on the show. So, you know, very happy to have you guys here. Uh, what's going on, guys? I'm doing pretty well today. You know, I just finished my final assignments of the fall semester. So uh, I'm just excited to be back, excited to get on the podcast, and excited to, you know, talk to some players. It's going to be good. I'm doing well, too, man. You know, I'm super excited for this episode. A uh, guy who's caused me just a, just a little bit of pain in my childhood. <laughs> but, no, I'm super excited to record this episode with you guys. Hey, Dory, you know, kind of giving a sneak peek right there to our uh, guest today. And, you know, it's with my pleasure to introduce NFL legend David Akers on the show today. David, how are you doing today, man? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, you know, absolute pleasure to have you on. And thank you so much for being able to talk with us today, man. You know, it's awesome always to be able to talk with NFL legend and, you know, one of the best kickers all time like yourself. Uh, you know, getting off with the question that we have for today, uh, one that we like to ask all of our guests on the show at the beginning of our uh, interviews. And this is kind of taking it all the way back to the very beginning of your uh, football experience. Uh, why did you start to play football? And uh, more specifically, why kicker? Well, I was relatively smaller in stature, um, kind of, kind of growing up. And I, I actually going into my, my sophomore year of college, that, that first year of my freshman year, I'll get to the, to answer your question in a second, but my, my freshman year, I was 151 pounds. And by the time I was done with spring training, I was 185. So I gained, you know, a considerable amount of weight in, in, in about a semester and a half. So, um, Take me back to my, my sophomore year in high school. I was playing soccer. I was uh, a keeper for my travel team and a, a striker on my high school team. And one day we were just kind of getting together some of the guys from, from school say, hey, let's go play a pickup game of football. And was at the high school and uh, just said, hey, put the ball down. Let me just give it a shot. And I hit one from 45 off the ground and really didn't think a whole lot of it. But one of the uh, guys that we were playing out there, his dad was one of the coaches. And so a couple of weeks kind of went by and said, hey, have you ever thought about like kicking? I was like, man, it'd be great. But back then, at least in Kentucky, the, the uh, men's or, or boys soccer was the same time as, as football. So trying to play two sports in one season is not an easy task. But um, the two soccer and football coaches kind of talked together and they said, Hey, if we could work this out, this would be fine for Dave. And my parents agreed and kind of the rest is history. Yeah, that's definitely a really, uh, I think that a lot of, a lot of kickers definitely start with soccer, but to start, uh, to start like switching to football at such a young age, it's kind of been, uh, it's kind of been a little different recently where you've got a lot of like guys who are trying to go pro in soccer and then suddenly make the switch to football and they realize they have that ability. Uh, we've seen that happen with a lot of modern kickers. Um, but, you know, now that you are obviously established, have been established at the position of kicker, one of the NFL legends at the position, I just wanted to ask, uh, as a lot of fans, they see the kicker and they're like, hey, uh, this is a job that should be easy. They're supposed to do this every time. Uh, you're expected to make the field goal. Uh, but they don't really see, like, the more intricate details of it. So what would you say is, like, the hardest part of playing the position of kicker that fans don't really take into account when they're watching the games? 
Well, and it's kind of a good question here. The, the reality is anything in life that looks easy generally takes a lot of time, practice, and effort to, to get to the point so it looks that way, if that makes sense. Um, you, you, you practice things thousands and thousands of times so it looks easy. And to be a true pro at it, if you look at today's top kicker in the game would be Justin Tucker. If you watch that guy, like, what makes him tick? Well, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's the mental aspect of the game, being able to be clutched during the situation to, to do it game in and game, game out, uh, year in and year out. Um, but there, there, are, there are abilities that people have and they possess. If you're just, if you're out there with a stick and as like a holder and you kick it and nobody's around and the lights are off, no cameras, no fans, and the game really doesn't mean anything, they're good. But then you start adding a little bit more of those pressures and nuances in there, it, it adds to it um, and it builds that up. Then you start adding other issues that can come in, and whether you're talking the wind, the, the ground, the, the snap, the hold, there's a lot of variables that go into that. And so a great holder can make a, a good kicker great. A eh holder can make a good kicker not so good. And so a lot of it is kind of relying on your team to lift you up as well. And you've got to have that nuance of, um, of teamwork and kind of like a rising tide lifting all ships, if you will, because, I mean, you're not going to see a good quarterback with, with terrible receivers. It's just not going to happen. You know, you've got to be on the same page. And, and that's the same thing with kicking. The lean of the ball makes a significant difference in how it tracks. Is it into the wind? Is a wind crosswind? If so, there's a tilt to the ball that should be changed. And some holders have no clue. Some kickers don't have a clue. So they, they miss kicks. They don't even know why. But again, to be really good at something, you have to take it to the finite level and become a technician and a, and a person that's will, willing to put the time and an effort in to, uh, to understand what goes into it technique-wise and being able to, to come out on the other end and, and put the time and effort into it. For sure. I think uh, what you mentioned specifically, a lot of guys have told us that it takes a bunch of tiny little miracles for a play to go right. And that goes the same for uh, for a place kick or a field goal. Um, you know, you've been in plenty of pressurized situations, game tying, game winning situations. How did that pressure affect you? You know, um, I hope to say that I was able to kind of stand up and and deal with it the best of my ability. Um, but I also was sponsored by Pepto-Bismol for years too. So there's a reason for that because I would chug a half a bottle before the game. Um, the, the whole idea is to, to understand that you might be shaking inside. You know, you might have that, that adrenaline run into the point of like, you, you get that kind of nervous knee feeling, knock knees in there. And um, being able to, to, to recognize that and use that adrenaline for a positive, I think was, was a thing for me that helped. I put a ton of pressure on myself in practice in front of the team to, to perform there, uh, especially early on in my career, because every kick to me in front of the coaches meant that I, I could hopefully stay an extra week, especially when you're weekend, you know, Tuesday at four o'clock, man, you knew you're getting an extra week's paycheck. You know, that was like, that was huge. Right. And if you saw a call come from the Eagles organization or wherever, um, uh, you're like, oh, man, especially on our off day back in the day was Monday. And you're like, man, if they're cutting me today, this is really going to blow, you know. But 
ultimately, I, I think, um, I don't think you ever get used to it. You kind of learn to hone it. And other players talk about the first few plays takes a while to, to, to kind of settle in. Well, kickers really don't have that per se, but if you have to go out in your first time on the field as a 55 yarder or your first one's an extra point, sometimes you have, you know, that ability just to get that first kick under your belt, whether it's a kickoff or whatever. So you knew if you went in and missed an extra point and you lost seven to six, you probably helped cost the game, right? And you know if there's two seconds left on the clock and you have to hit a 40-yard field goal and you miss it, you help cost the game. But you can also be the guy that wins the game. So if you look at every kick as a possibility of a game winner in your mind, like if I hit that first extra point, we win 7-6, yeah, I helped do my part that day. Same thing's true kind of mentality-wise, even for a game winner. So if you put the same pressure on yourself for the first kick as the last kick, I think it kind of helped balance me out. That was kind of the mindset I took into it at least. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, when you talk about game winners like that, and we were just talking about pressure situations, uh, one of the most impressive game-winning kick stories that I've ever seen is uh, the story of you in 2005 against the Raiders. Uh, you tore the hamstring of your non-kicking leg, and then you ended up actually kicking the game-winning field goal in the same game. Can you kind of take us through that game, uh, how you felt, like what were the emotions going through that, um, and how you ended up actually finishing that game? Yeah, cool. So the week before, I was playing against the Niners, and on one of the kickoffs, I felt this thing in the back of my, my quad, or actually back of my hamstring, and man, what, what is that? And had the kind of guys work on it halftime. And Mark Simino actually came in and hit an extra point in that game. And so do MRI, do all that stuff through the week. And it looked like, hey, there's a slight tear in your hamstring right where it connects to the ischial tuberosity, which is the kind of your pelvic bone right there. It was right, that it's tendon actually. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're not gonna make it worse. So they go, okay, famous last words. Um, so as the, as the week kind of goes on, they're like, do you think you're going to be able to kick off? You know, they brought a guy in on practice squad. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I, as of right now, we're not kicking off in practice. We're not testing it. Didn't kick many kicks during the week. And then when the game started, I had a really pretty good warm-up. I was feeling confident with it. I approached the ball on kickoff, and it just went. And uh, I tried it again because we were off sides. And so we had a, a penalty, had to do it again, backed up five yards, and then I collapsed, it impacted the ball. So they were offsides again, had to do it another five yards back, and then Mike Bartram, who was our long snapper at the time, came out and toe-poked it and kicked it out of bounds. So they got the ball at like midfield at that time. But um, so they took me in, in, into the locker room and they did this kind of tape job, not thinking I was ever actually going back in the game, but they taped it where it was at my ankle and up around my my waist so that I could not extend my leg. So it was just kind of your leg was kind of like crooked like that. I couldn't extend it all the way out. And I just kind of stayed and watched the game. I was out there as it kind of was getting to the point where it looked like we needed a, a, a game winner. Andy Reed through John Harbaugh was like, what, what do you think you could do? And I'm like, I don't even know. I, I mean, I could kick some in the net, but I couldn't tell what the ball was doing, how much real power was on there. And I just said, I don't think I can kick anything over 40. So we'll just see what happens. But luckily we were moving the ball down the field enough, got close enough, made it 23 yard attempt. And at impact, it just 
my, it just went as far as the pain and all, but the reality to me was kind of like, it hit me at that point where it's like, is this going to affect my career now? Like, did I just do something to, to end it? Or, you know, am I going to be able to come back from this? So that was kind of the, the thing that I thought about at the end, but I mean, at the moment, it was great just to help be a part of the team. And I will say this, the Eagles, they actually took care of me after that. Once I came back, I missed five weeks. I uh, didn't kick off for 11 weeks. They had a, a, a kickoff guy that came in once I started kicking field goals again. But then they actually rewarded me by giving me a, a contract extension the week after I came back off of that. So uh, I think they, they appreciated me, you know, trying to, to go out and, and, and battle through. You know, extremely impressive story, David. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we have a couple of uh, listeners out there who are kickers, uh, some personal friends of mine, and they'll just be wowed by that story. Yeah, I mean, I actually have a a friend who's currently uh, kicking at uh, Kane University in New Jersey, and, you know, he looks up to pretty much every, any kicker that we talk to, you know, he just loves listening to their stories on the show. So he'll he'll love hearing that story, you know, just a great moment uh, for you. And, you know, glad to hear that the Eagles did extend your contract after that rewarding you, because it's just an super impressive awesome moment man and uh one question i actually did want to touch upon is you know being an athlete uh like yourself or like you were you know it brought you know lots lots of responsibilities you know lots of things that you had to look out for i uh, you know do you think that being you know when you were an athlete do you think that made you uh personally a better person being an athlete make you a better person um i don't know about it makes you a better person i mean there are a lot of great people that that aren't into athletics. What I will say that I believe athletics has helped me with is persevering in life. Um, in, John Dornboss talks about this, being inside the, the white lines and being outside the white lines and what that has in effect on your life because you're going to get knocked down. You're, you're going to have times where you have to stand back up and, and keep going. And what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for those people on the field, your teammates, and you're fighting for the organization, your coaches, and then outside the line, you're fighting for yourself, you're fighting for your family, your kids, and um, you're going to have things that don't go your way. You know, you, in, in a game, you're, you're going to have situations that, that don't go your way. Um, you're going to have injuries, you're going to have health issues in life, and you're going to have you know, you know, your teammates and your friends. And I think that's a, a great correlation of, of being able to just kind of push through and uh, have a perspective that's, that's larger than, than that moment. And uh, for me, I think that's been been a key point. One of the things that I uh, talk to my kids about and, and, and preach to them about, uh, you know, never giving up. And it doesn't mean you don't quit doing something, but I'm saying when it comes down to, to times of you really have to, to make an impact with whatever situation, don't give up, you know, just keep, and, and you can kind of tell them like, hey, if you do this, this might trickle down into another situation. And um, whether that's in school, I used to say this, I, I coached a lot of flag football when I was playing with the Eagles and we were living over in the Medford area in New Jersey. And I would have the kids line up for, for a run and, and we'd run these sprints and I'd see some kids are going to be last no matter what. If they could beat one person, you know, that was great for them. You had the guys that could make it first and whatever. All I said to the kids, you always give it your best. And if you come in first, great. If you come in second and you could have come in first, then shame on you. But if you come in dead last and you're giving it everything you have every single time, 
then you have nothing to be ashamed of and put your head down on a pillow at night knowing you. So whether you do that in school, whether you're doing that in your, in your business world, give it everything you have. Understand if you give anything less than that, you're, you're just giving yourself up to failure eventually because you're just, you're basically like the coaches give you this, this motto of you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're never staying the same. So push yourself to get better. Yeah, definitely, man. You know, I really liked what you had to say about that. You know, that really, I feel, I feel personal connection to that because with this podcast that we started, you know, obviously we started out as a small brand with only a couple hundred followers. And now only, you know, a few months later, we have over 7,000 followers on Instagram and a whole audience of people just listening to us, you know, talking with talking and talking to our guests. So, you know, not giving up, you know, keep pushing yourself. I really, really relate to that. And uh, one thing I wanted to touch upon, you know, in terms of not giving up in uh, 2001, you started a, a form, uh, you started a foundation, you know, David Akers Kicks for Kids. And uh, can you tell us a bit about that uh, foundation? Because for me personally, I was actually diagnosed with cancer at uh, age one, uh, a paddleblastoma stage four, you know, a cancer that's extremely rare in children. So that, you know, that really intrigued me. And, you know, can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, ultimately, my, my goal was to help kids pursue their dreams, whatever that may be. And we, I used to go to Children's Hospital on a weekly basis not anything for, for cameras or whatever, but just, I, I felt like that was a connection for me. And then I had a lady who um, would go with me and help me quite often. And we went there and I was doing a book reading and I took my son, my oldest son now. And uh, I said to her, I was like, you know, it's really nice that he's here during this opportunity for me to read. And he's not in here as, as a, as a patient. Well, that was on a Tuesday. He was admitted on Saturday, you know, because he ended up having um, a cellulitis and a MRSA staph infection. And he was in there for a week. And at that point, I, I said, I want to specifically help with Children's Hospital, you know, so while you're playing, it's, it's a lot easier to get funding and help, you know, because people are willing to, to kind of jump on your team in that area. And I was very fortunate to have a great team with that. And then with Children's Hospital, myself, for my, for my son at that point, they, they helped us quite a bit. And then at the end of my career, um, my daughter ended up getting diagnosed with a malignant tumor in her left ovary. And so we, we then were kind of at the hands of, of Children's Hospital again, and they, they did incredible work on her. And so the idea was to try to make it a little bit easier for the families that are staying there. So we would do things like, you know, kids need a computer, we get a computer, like if they needed some things done at their house or breathing machines for some of the cystic fibrosis patients, they actually had, we called them David's Locker. You got all kinds of crazy things kind of in a locker that are behind you or whatever. And, and so we, we gave it up to the hospital's discretion and when people said they needed needs for, I mean, some people just need a, a taxi ride home, some needed you know, groceries and, and things of that nature. And so they had in a sundry list of things that they could just kind of ask for and be able to, to receive. So uh, I was very fortunate just to be with some great people over at Children's Hospital. Uh, we also helped staff a resource center called the, uh, the Little Rock, um, uh, I guess, golly, at the time it was the Little Rock Foundation, but it was for the, the visual and, and, and hearing impaired. But I think it was Little Rock Foundation was actually the cause. Of, but so we helped staff that for a while and uh, just incredible people to do amazing work. Uh, so again, uh, 
I think we all have different opportunities to have a platform. And at that point, I was trying to use that and, and kind of let people know how much I appreciate them. But as you know, man, the kids that are there and their families, those incredible warriors, incredible. Yeah, man, definitely. You know, as a cancer survivor like myself, you know, we're all, you know, incredibly thankful for what, you know, you, your, what yourself does and, you know, your foundation and all other foundations, uh, you know, out there just helping out, you know, kids who are, uh, you know, not as fortunate, you know, to go out and live a normal life and, you know, are unfortunately suffering from cancer. So, you know, just, just some incredible stuff, man, you know, really appreciative once again of what you do, you know, in your free time, being able to help those uh, children out who are unfortunately suffering from uh, cancer. Uh, Dorian, I'm going to pass over to you for the next question, man. Yeah. Um, like, like Ryan said, just incredible stuff that you're doing and continue on kind of the path of like perseverance. Um, you were an undrafted free agent in the NFL. How did that shape your career and shape your work ethic? Well, yeah. So I got a call, um, on draft day. Well, draft day is two days long. So, um, back in 1997, you all were even alive then? Nope. 2001 (laughs) is when I was born. So nope. (laughs) So it was 97 and I started getting some calls on Saturday. I was a guy that had a really strong leg, but wasn't as accurate as needed to be in college, but I could punt and kick. So I got, I got a call and said, look, you know, look like you might be on our board for tomorrow from a couple of different teams. And then I got a call from the Steelers in the seventh round and said, Dave, it looks like you're going to be our next pick. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. I'm waiting to see my name go across the kicker right on the TV. And uh, they picked a kick returner, not a kicker. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. So anyway, I had five teams that offered me free agent contracts at the time. And I chose to go to the Carolina Panthers because they were giving me a little bit more signing bonus, five grand, you know, back in 97. I mean, that was a lot of money. So I was like, this is, this is awesome. They must really like me. Well, I didn't take into account that they had John Casey who had just come off a pro bowl a year and um, more money really didn't mean it that much, but I will say this. I learned so much from John Casey. I was a sponge around him. He was giving of his time and his his understanding and fundamentals of what I needed to be able to utilize to be able to play at the next level. And he tirelessly would work with me at practice and I got better. It took me about six months to really implement the major technical changes that I did to my technique. Um, But then I got called up to, I I got cut, got called up to um, to the Falcons. And Morton Anderson was there, who's just recently was put into the Hall of Fame. And I was like, okay, well, this camp was really great because I was kicking the way I should have been in, in Carolina. But with that new technique, it was really my, – my stats were great. And it looked like they were going to put me on a practice squad. And as you all know, you have to get released before you can get brought back on on the practice squad. And so in that time, the Washington Redskins – offered me to come in for a workout or the Washington football team, whatever we're calling them these days. So they brought me in and they offered me to be on their practice squad. So I said, okay, went there and kind of did kind of some analysis before I did that, you know, Morton Anderson, not Morton Anderson. Uh, I think I'm going to go where Morton's not. Uh, So third week of the season, I get activated. They are playing out in Seattle. And so back then, and 
Seattle was inside. It was a king called the kingdom. I'm like, man, a kicker playing inside. This is going to be great. So my opening kickoff, I'm kicking off my career. I'm literally kicking off the game. And I hit a high. See, back then we kicked it to 30. And the balls at that point could, could get doctored up a little bit. But I hit this high, like real short kick, though, to the 10. Steve Bouchard, well, it would have been to the five now. Steve Bouchard hits it up the middle. He cuts out to the right. And if you can just kind of think about Chris Berman in the back of your mind going, he could go all the way. Yeah, he did. 90 yards for a touchdown. My first kickoff ever in the NFL. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this, this is terrible. This is not the way I was expecting it to go. And um, it's got to get better. It's got to get better. So we go out and we try a nice short 48-yard field goal. And I missed it barely wide right. And then – I'm thinking, well, this is this is terrible. I'm blowing it, and uh, I get another chance. It's 49 yards. I miss it wide left. So, needless to say, uh, two days later, I was cut, and that means I've been cut from the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Redskins, and uh, pretty much ready to kind of give it up. And I really thought I was was going to be done at least until somebody. I had some tryouts, you know, here and there where guys were possibly injured, but when they really are thinking about bringing you back onto the team, onto a team, it's usually the first part of the, the winter break right after, right after season. But I got a call to come up right before Christmas with the Eagles and uh, went up there, had a terrible workout. Still my worst workout I ever had was theirs. And, um, but, I, but I was strong. It was cold outside. It was 17 degrees, zero degree wind chill. And back then it was at the vet. And we were on their practice field was literally was dirt just piled up on top of the asphalt with grass. Um, and then they had this bubble that was probably 60 yards long or something next to it. It wasn't very big at all. And we were outside. And again, I, I showed some power, but I just wasn't really accurate. We all leave, you know, the players. And then I kind of talked to John Harbaugh and at that time, Ray Rhodes was still the head coach. I hadn't even hired Andy Reid. I get back on a plane back to uh, Atlanta. My wife picks me up and she's like, well, how did it go? I was like, it's kind of a waste of time. I didn't do real well. And she goes, that's interesting. They called, they want to sign you. So either they are prophetic or they really knew what the heck was going on with, with what they saw in the young guy. But um, that, that kind of started them to say, you know, though, we want you to kind of go play in NFL Europe. And back then, they would have um, teams that would allocate certain players. So my jersey, even though I was playing for the Berlin Thunder, I had an Eagles logo here and another patch somewhere, I believe, just to let people know, like, I'm affiliated kind of as a farm club to what they do in baseball, which, in my opinion, we really still need something like that. The likes of Kurt Warner and uh, uh, why can't I think of his name all of a sudden? The great defensive end for the Steelers. Um, oh my gosh, it'll come to me. You know, guys like Vinatieri, I mean, you know, Jake Delhomme and and Chris Winkie and guys like that played over there. But so I had a decent season, and then I got sick the night before the second to last game. I got really, really sick, and it, I got put into a hospital the next day, and found out that uh, this is a whole made-for-TV movie. We don't even have enough time for this one, but. Uh, let's just say I was in East Berlin, no passport, and my Deutsche was very kind. So 
it was not a good, a good experience. Uh, so I spent there for the week. I lost 30 pounds in three days. Uh, the season was over. I flew home. My wife didn't even recognize me when I landed on uh, back in America here. I was down in Hartsfield International in Atlanta. And uh, I had a couple of weeks just to kind of get ready for the Eagle season. 30 pounds down, needed to get strong. Doctor said he needed to kind of chill for a while. Ended up uh, having this salmonella food poisoning. But it was, I, I got, back then it was the first time I ever heard quarantine because I, I got quarantined to that room. And they, we had no TV, nothing. You, you looked out of a small window. And again, they didn't speak English and I didn't speak German. Uh, even though I took two years of high school German, it was not good. Um, so I, I go to the Eagles and, and I'm trying out for them. You know, I'm under contract per se, but you don't get paid until you play in your first regular season game, as you all know. Uh, so I'm competing with, if you're a Cowboys fan, an old Cowboy kicker named Chris Bonio. And Chris and I are going at it as much as we can. And, and I was doing okay, I guess, but I had Coy Detmer holding for me at the time and Coy had never held. And so he had Doug Peterson, who was a great holder and who'd been holding for Ryan Longwell and others in Green Bay. And so they end up releasing Chris. And then they bring in Norm Johnson, who had been playing 17 years. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I have no chance. But at that, what they ended up doing, and this was part of Jim Johnson at the time, Jim said, they wanted a guy that could kick touchbacks. And my, again, I said my leg was strong. And so during that time, I, I became like the, the long field goal and kickoff specialist, I guess. Uh, so I played that whole 1999 season doing that. I tried six field goal attempts. I think the shortest attempt was 48 yards. You know, I think it, the longest was like 59. And so that was kind of the start of where the Eagles were with, with me, like how it all kind of began there um, and kind of going as an undrafted guy who thought he was going to get drafted at one point. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy origin story, like considering where you came from and even like having a couple of years in the league where you really felt like you weren't really like successful in the way that you wanted to be. And then still having like a team like the Eagles give you a chance and, then eventually you were able to develop into, I mean, such an amazing kicker at such a high level. Um, and I mean, one mark of that success, probably the most notable mark of that success is that you were named to the second team of the all decade for the two thousands. Um, and I think, you know, amazing accomplishment, but you're also in the record book in quite a few other places. What would you say is your favorite NFL record that you hold right now? You hold a bunch of them. So, <laughs> One of the ones I liked for, for a while that I thought was really cool. Um, I don't own it anymore. Stephen Hauschka has it. And it was consecutive made in the postseason, And it was either 19 or 21, something like that. And then at one time I had the most field goals over 40 yards in a season. And Neil Rackers, I think, broke that one. Um, I guess, I guess right now would be, it's pretty cool that I had I had the most in a season at 44. That's private. That's, I mean, that's, that's a cool one to have, you know, for sure. Um, the Pro Bowl one's another cool one to have because of you got to go there a lot. And even though my teams that I played for, I went to six Pro Bowls, only won one of those. All right. So that's not really a great record. It's like going to play in two Super Bowls and being 0 for two of those. Seven NFC championships and only won two of those. So let's, uh, not not the greatest of winning once we get there, but 
the experiences were, were really great. Uh, so being able to have the most points uh, for the for the Pro Bowl is probably pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, before before Ryan asks his next question, I just wanted to interject real quick and say, I mean, there are a ton of accomplishments. There's a ton of metrics that you could look at to see just how amazing of a kicker you were. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me was we were just talking about your beginning of the career, you know, like your your first game. And you were so frustrated about missing a short field goal of 48 yards. I mean, there are some kickers today who would say 48 yards is by no means a short field goal. And I mean, to to see that, you know, your your quality of success, your bar that you set for yourself is that high, that really speaks to why you were so successful in your career. I just wanted to point that out. And well, uh, Ryan. First off, I appreciate you saying that, but I have to back up. I was saying that tongue in cheek sarcastically. So, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Either, either should, way, though, I, I should mean, interject that. <laughs> in the in the even either way, in the context of your career, I mean, having kicked so many long field goals and stuff like that, it it is really impressive that you were able to extend the field in such a way for that offense. It's really impressive. Yeah, cool, thanks. Yeah, definitely, Nate. And uh, you know, another question I want to ask. This is kind of a you know a bit off topic, but uh, did you happen to watch the uh, Eagles uh, Washington game this past Sunday night? Whatever you're talking about. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, I'm guessing you did. You know, what were your thoughts on uh, the decision Doug Peterson made to uh, take out Jalen Hurts in the game and uh, start Nate and uh, bring in Nate Sudfield? Because uh, I have to say, as a very passionate Giants fan, I was pretty pissed off. Not going to lie. So, again, I think some of it has to be more context laden. Um, you know, when you and I are watching the game, I didn't know that they said, hey, they're going to be bringing in these guys, right? You know, didn't know why certain guys weren't playing, didn't know that they were going to go into this game looking at it as a talent evaluation. That being said, whoever's in the game, you play to win the game. And, you know, I played many years with Andy Reid that we get to the playoffs and he would sit people with no care really what it's affecting to the team that they're playing or others around him, right? He was more taking what um, was important for, for his, his group. But optics of the game were this. The optics, as you said, was you, know, you the game at that point, the Eagles were losing by three. They had just passed up a field goal opportunity of like 22, 23 yards, something like that. They go for it on fourth down. They don't get it. The next series, that's when Nate comes in, right? So you're like, oh, wait a minute. You just went for on fourth down, and now you're bringing Nate in, and it's, I think it was the beginning of the fourth quarter or something like that, or just at the, it might have been right at the beginning there. So that being the context, you're like, wait a minute. Now it looks like you're kind of tanking. And then people are like, well, yeah, if they, they lose this game, now they go from ninth to sixth as far as picks go, which is a dr dramatic difference in, in quality of player, right? Uh, you're a third of the way closer to the number one pick. So you also were hearing that guys were going up to, you know, the next day that guys went up to Doug and they're like, Doug, what the heck was going on? And like the people had to be pulled back. And I believe now when you listen to, to Travis Kelsey, um, I'm sorry, Jason Kelsey, on Kelsey brothers, you listen to him talk about going up and say, well, yeah, I went and talked to Doug because we knew Nate was going to be in at some point in the game. And, hey, is he going in the game? Oh, okay, I need to go get some snaps with him. Guys, we need to get together so you can hear the cadence. Well, that context completely shifts then, right? 
because you're not having guys going up and saying, coach, what are you doing? You're trying to lose the game. Only certain guys knew about what was going on in the game because they were a part of the game plan. Other guys had, had been said, hey, we're, we're, you're not going to be playing, so you're not going to be as involved with this. As a competitor, as guys that are going out on the field and trying to compete at the highest level, I personally, if you have nothing to save guys for, I would love to have the, the team always try to be ending on a high note with the best you can so you can evaluate and, and kind of go into the next season in a positive kind of standpoint. There were, there were some um, – there was a game, I, I believe we played the Rams – in 2000 and they were really good at that time and so you know be no I'm sorry it was the 90 it was the 99 going in it was it was January of 2000's 99 season and they were really good whatever we were able to beat them and that was a, that was a big win for us you know to be able to do that and I think that kind of gave some momentum into the next season for us um and that's when we went from five and 11 to 11 and five. So you can kind of see that kind of shifting. So to answer your question, even so I'm building a bigger context, answering your question, I understand why they did what they did. As a player, I, I want to play to win the game. I don't, so did Nate have the ability to win? Possibly. To you Giants fans, you shouldn't have been six and ten or whatever, six and eleven, you know. Man. And I was and I was joking around with, with Lawrence Tynes about this type of stuff. But you know, the reality is, I mean, the Eagles should have been better than four wins themselves. Every, you know, Dallas, you too. There's not is there one Washington fan on here? Nope. No, all, all exactly. of our all of so, our teams were so all of our teams were just garbage. <laughs> My my team was especially disappointing. I mean, I'm a Raiders fan, and I mean, we got off to a hot start and then just collapsed again, second year in a row. But that NFC East was something else this year. And where do you go to school? Uh, I go to school in St. Louis. I'm at WashU. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of of course, we we feel the tension right here. You know, you being a primarily Eagles kicker, Ryan being the Giants fan, and I'm the Cowboys fan. So I wanted to ask you, what is that NFC East rivalry right like between all four teams? So during my my career, I would say that the toughest games each time we played were against the Giants. I mean, it was always watching those guys early on, Tiki and and Strahan and you know guys like that, and then you um, watch them just kind of you know they won a couple Super Bowls and so or what. Only one Super Bowl while I was with the Eagles. Um, but they went to two appearances during that time, I believe. So I would definitely say that, that the Giants were, were the toughest games. The Cowboys during those times, well, I mean, let's just be honest. You have to go back. If you want to see any time of them doing anything in the playoffs, you're looking at your parents' VHS tapes, right? Unfortunately. Yeah. Exactly, right? So, I mean – the Giants have two rings. The Eagles have one in the same time frame that before you were born. I mean, we're just being honest. I'm not trying to be, you know. No, no, no. It's it's okay. It's okay. Jordan, he's out here roasting you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he's really out here roasting not. you. No, I'm not because listen, I can take it right now. We're we got you know this year was terrible, right? But I think that kind of goes to 
you know, if you talk to an Eagles fan down on Broad Street, they're going to be like, I don't care if you go, you know, 2-14. and 14. You better have your two games be against the Cowboys. Yeah. I, I know that for a fact. I have a family that are Eagles fans, and he's uh, my cousin specifically. He's always like, well, you guys haven't won in 25 years. I was like, it took you 50 to get one. But he was like, but we still have one. I was like. And they also had championships before the, the Lombardi Trophy. So, you mm. know, they do have those as well. Of course. I mean, if you really want to go back to, you know, how it was really bred into to American culture. Sorry. And I, I don't guys. I don't count those championships. I have <laughs> I got Eagle fans like all around me. Like my roommate is an Eagle fan and he's got like the Super Bowl banner hanging on his wall. So whenever I wake up in the morning, I gotta stare at that when I open my eyes, pisses me off internally. But you know, I mean those championships don't count. Like, come on now. We're not counting those in Super Bowls. I hate when I hate when Eagle fans say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you got going on behind you there? What are, what are those jerseys back there? All right, so I'm I'm like a really big jersey guy. I you know Dorian and Nate know this about myself. I have like a jersey yeah. wall behind my TV. I have my Strahan and Sterling Shepard one hanging there. I got a Jason Seahorn and Lawrence Taylor one hang behind my bed. I got and then in my closet I have Eli Manning and then uh, Landon Collins also. So you know I'm a huge jersey guy, and Giants is definitely you know most jerseys I have. So you know diehard fan right here. That's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice little shrine right there. <laughs> couple, of, couple of Hall of Famers back there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got – outside of Giants, I got Troy Palomalu. I got Warren Sapp. I have a Dante Culpepper, Peyton Manning. If you, I got a Johnny Manziel one, too, if we're counting him as a Hall of Famer. In my opinion, <laughs> I think he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Money Manziel. I, I don't know if anyone else would agree. But uh, get him, get him back. First, first ballot, baby. What's up, Dorian? I think, I think we David Akers jersey. I think we all need David Akers jersey. All right, bet. All right, yeah. I'll put that on the list. I'll put that on the list. Uh, get it. What'd you find? Get? Some vintage one on uh, <laughs> on on eBay. Uh, you definitely aren't finding them down at Mitchell and Ness. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But uh, getting back on track, you know, last question that I wanted to ask you, David, is you know, with your uh, you know, current life, you know, you actually uh, just started your own podcast. Uh, you know, kicking it with David Akers. Can you sort of like tell the listeners a bit about that? Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up, actually. So my daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, and I have a son who's a seventh grader. My oldest son is playing football at UCLA. But um, during the quarantine thing, very similar to you, she goes, Dad, why don't you try to start like you? I said, what, what, are we gonna, what do I know about doing any of that stuff? And so she kind of kept pressing me that you should do it, should do it. And, and basically the idea, very similar to what you're all doing, I want to, I think there's a lot of stories that need to be shared. Everybody's got a story. And so in the sports field, whether it's the NFL, I, I do a lot with, with NASCAR stuff. Lisa did um, even to the point where during quarantine, people were hearing about the online racing. So like myself and, and um, Kyle Long, like Dale Jr. got me involved with that years ago. And uh, really, really had a lot of fun doing it with iRacing. And so, you know, maybe kind of get involved with some of those people but then post-football, I really got into water skiing. You're like, water skiing, what is that about? And basically, you go through these the ski course, and it's such an adrenaline rush. And it you get done, it takes you almost 17 seconds when you're going 34 miles an hour, which is, for my age, is, is the speed. And when you're cutting back and forth, you're, you're definitely going faster than that. 
but you get such an incredible workout. And I just feel like it's, it's found me something to compete against myself once football was done. Um, and I don't care what sport you're in. If you're a true competitor, you're always finding something to compete with, right? Or you're kind of like spinning your own wheels. And for me, it's kind of found that locker room that I missed. Um, and, and again, you know, obviously game checks are really nice to have, but um, the one thing you can't replicate, and Jay Glazer and I've talked about this, you know, that's why he's got the MVP where he's merging vets and players together. And if you all know what I'm talking about with that, you should check it out. Um, he talks a lot with Strahan about that. You know, these are people that are, they start to, to have issues with combat vets that are having issues kind of assimilating back to civilian life. And I'm not trying to say that NFL players are, are having to assimilate again to, to civilian life, but there's, there's such a regimen and a, and, a, and, a, and a structure that you're doing all the time that you're kind of like, well, this season, part of the season, I'm doing this, 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 and this, that like, you know, at nine o'clock, you know, you're taking your dump for the day, right? Because that's when you're breaking out of meetings, right? Like it's just, everything's set that way. And so for me, water skiing, I've been able to find a group of people that kind of have like a little locker room kind of set up for, but um, ultimately, man, you know, we'll see where it goes. They're, they're doing all the producing of it and, and uh, trying to get a little better with, with the sound and we got a new camera and you got lights and stuff in here. And then it'd be nice to kind of get people in person instead of uh, you know, zooming, but trying to, you know, come up with some content and if people like it, hopefully they'll subscribe and, you know, we've got an okay following on, on Instagram. And see, I used to be on Twitter way more. So when I was with the Niners, I missed a couple of kicks in a game. And at that time I was the number one fantasy guy. Guys started blowing me up and I started getting death threats. And I was like, well, man, this ain't real cool. So I'm going to bounce out of here. And I deleted my account. And I had a lot of followers and I was more active on that. Um, and I had a private Facebook account. So I really never really did much. And I started doing some more things with some, some companies post football. And they're like, we like to have you have a social media presence. So I started to do that. Not that it's huge, but like 38, 39,000, somewhere in that range on Instagram. And then I started to say, okay, well maybe I'll, I'll do the Twitter, but I just don't do as much on Twitter uh, and probably should, but, um, so where does this go with the YouTube? I don't know, but I love to hear what people's ideas are. I love to give them an opportunity, a platform to, to share their stories. Yeah, man, definitely. You know, some amazing stuff, what you're doing, you know, I'm definitely going to be subscribing on YouTube after this, you know, I, you got my subscription. I don't know if I can say the same for uh, Nate and Dorian. I'm, they seem yeah, to be, you uh, got mine. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't want to hear from, from, so, you know, what I'd like to do though, I would love eventually to get a cowboy on. I, I got to get a little bit more of the subscribing up and get somebody on there. Maybe like a Jason Witten or maybe, um, maybe we get, hmm, maybe Drew Pearson on. That'd be huge. Drew Pearson would be awesome. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we could have like a reenactment between what he did with Philly and down there. <laughs> he seems, he seems like a really good dude. So that's why I think it'd kind of be fun to kind of, kind of go at it a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. You know, just some awesome stuff what you're doing. And, you know, I'll definitely be uh, tuning in, listening after this. But uh, with that, that basically wraps up our show for today. David, it was a pleasure talking with you today, man. Uh, you know, absolutely awesome to have you on the show. Despite you being a former Eagles, you know, at the end of the day, Giants and Eagles fans can, uh, you know, somewhat settle the rivalry and uh, be friends, I would hope. But, uh, David, you got anything else you want to say before we sign off? 
No, I just think you all do a great job here. And uh, again, it, it is fun because a lot of those guys that we played against over the years, it, it is great to see what they're doing post football. But during the time on the field, we can't stand each other off the field. Great guys and wish them all the best success. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, Nate and Dorian, you got anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, just again, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I think everyone, uh, you know, you heard it from David about his regimen during the NFL, uh, how he was structured in his life. And, you know, during this time of quarantine, this is something that I've been trying to do more and more and more is just try to focus what you're doing and you will achieve results. That's how it goes, you know, and uh, I think everyone can just implement that a little bit every day into their life. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming on with us. It was a pleasure talking to you. I, I know the, the jersey in the background kind, kind of bothered you a little bit. But again, it was just awesome to be able to speak to you about your career and to be able to see what you're doing now. Great, guys. I really appreciate it. And again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Once again, absolute pleasure talking to you today. And thank you for being able to come on. But with that, uh, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in, like always. If you haven't, make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening on, and give our past episodes a listen as well. And follow us on Instagram at QF Podcast. We post fun football content, episode updates, and much more. If you want to see me uh, put out some controversial opinions that all the uh, people in the comments get mad at me about, go ahead, give us a follow there at QF Podcast on Instagram. But with that, I want to thank everyone for listening today, and we'll see you guys next time.